Hello everyone, Happy New Year, and welcome back to Election Day. In this episode, I'm going to break down everything that's going on surrounding the two Senate runoff races in the state of Georgia. The two matchups are the Democrat John Ossoff against the Republican incumbent David Perdue, and Democrat Raphael Warnock against the Republican incumbent Kelly Loeffler. Those two matchups are coming up just a few days from now, on January 5th. These two runoffs are just as important as the actual elections back in November. So first, I want to begin this episode by explaining why these two Senate runoffs are so important. It really is such a bizarre lead-up to the situation that we have right now, where control of the government is not decided and will not be decided until 2021. Currently, the Republicans have 50 seats and the Democrats have 48. And if Democrats take both of the Georgia Senate seats, then it will be a 50-50 tie and Kamala Harris will break that tie, giving Democrats full control of the executive and legislative branches of government. And that means they will actually be able to pass a good proportion of their agenda. Whereas, if Republicans are able to protect both seats, then Mitch McConnell will once again be the Senate Majority Leader. And that means we're setting up for at least two more years of extreme obstructionism. It's super important to understand the consequences of what a Republican majority would mean. Mitch McConnell famously once called himself the Grim Reaper of the Senate, that whatever Democrats tried to do, he would kill it. I was reading President Obama's memoir, A Promised Land, and in that book, he tells a story of when Joe Biden was telling Mitch McConnell about the positives of a bill about why he should vote to support it. And Mitch McConnell said, you are under the mistaken impression that I care. That's the thing we know about Mitch McConnell. He will make sure that the other side loses. He will do anything he can to make sure that the other side loses. You are under the mistaken impression that I care really sums up his philosophy in how to run the Senate. That was his strategy during the Obama era. After the 2010 midterms, once Republicans held control of the Senate, Mitch McConnell made sure Obama never got his way. We all know the story of Merrick Garland, how he wasn't able to be confirmed in Mitch McConnell's Senate, and how that allowed for President Trump to then fill that seat. And this led to success electorally, in fact, because people generally, rightfully or not, pin the state of the country on the president. And if the president isn't able to do very much, then that's not pinned on Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. That was pinned on President Obama. And we know that history will repeat itself with President Biden. No matter how optimistic we are about Biden's compromise-making abilities, Mitch McConnell will still be obstructionist. 
And of course, that says a lot about Mitch McConnell, but also about the general culture in the Senate and in the American government, that there is so much inertia in the gears of the system that it's hard to get anything done without full control. A prime example, of course, is the filibuster. Even once Donald Trump became president, Republicans were only able to do stuff in the first two years, and after that, Democrats stopped Trump from passing major legislation. So the past teaches us that Republicans winning one of the two seats, hanging on to their majority, means that Mitch McConnell will be able to work the system and make sure that whatever Biden tries to do is stopped in its tracks. I often like to say that Mitch McConnell's job is to make sure that nobody else can do their job. We saw this very recently with the COVID stimulus bill. Only once Mitch McConnell agreed to it was anything able to move forward. So that is most definitely what is going to happen if Republicans retain their majority. Mitch McConnell will make sure that the administration and the government remains largely ineffective. And so I hear a lot of people and a lot of pundits saying, well, I hope Republicans keep the Senate because then it will force Democrats to compromise. Then Biden and the Democratic Party won't be able to do anything they want. They'll have to meet in the middle and work with Republicans, moderate their agenda. But I think that's a completely illegitimate argument because we know that a Republican Senate doesn't mean that we will have a moderate agenda passed. It means that we will have no agenda passed. It means literally nothing will get done in the government. And so if you think that, well, even nothing done would be better than Joe Biden's leftist agenda, I mean, sure, that's a valid opinion you can have, but I want to set expectations straight. Mitch McConnell's objective is not moderation. Joe Biden is much more moderation than Mitch McConnell is. The goal of a Republican Senate would be obstructionism. Remember that quote, you are under the mistaken impression that I care. Under the mistaken impression that he cares about what's actually contained in the bill, rather than who gets the victory, Democrats or Republicans. So that's why, that's where the significance is in the Georgia runoff races, that what happens in the country and around the world will be decided in the state of Georgia. And that has led to extremely high engagement. There are incredible sums of money being poured into this race from both sides. One key point to notice is the absentee ballots. A lot of people have already voted, record numbers, even topping the presidential race, I believe. Georgians know the stake of what's on the ballot. There are a lot of people, looking at the statistics, who didn't vote in November, who have voted or are going to vote in January. So this is a high advertising, high turnout, overall high engagement race. And what I actually like this time around is that there is very limited polling available. 
I think that's actually good because that prevents us from thinking too much about, oh, who's going to win making all these forecasts? As much as I'm a believer in numbers and statistics, I think in a race like this, it's good that both sides turn out regardless of how everyone else is voting. I'm not going to read into the numbers too much for the aforementioned reason, but it seems, big picture, that it's essentially a 50-50 race. It's extremely close. This is a state that Joe Biden won by under one percentage point. This is a state that is traditionally Republican, has a Republican advantage, but recently Democrats have gotten a boost. So it really seems like it's 49-49, 49-48. It's so tight. So with that, let's take a look at both sides and their respective strategies. On the one hand, you have Republican incumbents David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler. The thing about their campaigns is that they are firmly standing by Trump. They are beholden to whatever he says. They will always back him up. We saw with the stimulus check, they supported $2,000 once President Trump pushed for that. They are propagating his claims of election fraud and that he actually won. We know that David Perdue went to a Trump rally and he said, I love you, Mr. President. Kelly Loeffler brags about her 100% Donald Trump voting record. And so this is a campaign that is chained to Donald Trump. Because if they break from him as a Republican in Georgia, where Trump still does have support, right? The vast majority of Republicans in Georgia are Trump Republicans. They have no chance if they ever break from Trump. Much like the National Republican Party, the local Republican candidates are cornered by Trump. They have no other option. They're embracing him out of necessity from a position of weakness. My only concern if I were a Republican strategist would be that Donald Trump lost this state. Republicans outperformed Trump. So I don't know if it's a winning strategy to fully embrace and tie yourself to a presidential candidate who just lost in your state. Donald Trump is putting Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue in a really tough spot right now. He's putting himself in more and more indefensible positions now that he's lost, now that he doesn't have to care about repercussions for himself. This election fraud thing, it doesn't play well with the overall voting base. It really doesn't. It only appeals to people who would vote Republican anyway, and even there it has a negative effect in that you have Trump supporters, diehard Republicans, who are saying, why should we vote in an election that's going to be fraudulent anyway? Who knows? Maybe that'll be a critical mass. And then you have more moderate voters who might be really disappointed by Trump's behavior and by Republicans who are working with him and think that that proved all my worries that I had about Trump. This is really, really tough because the Republicans 
have to, on the one hand, keep Trump's base. They need to stick close to him. But on the other hand, they need to somewhat distance themselves because otherwise they risk all these other effects of alienating even Trump's vote, alienating a lot of moderate suburban voters. It's a really tough balance to strike. Trump is complicating the strategy by taking algebra and turning it into calculus. This is a Republican advantage state, but Trump is giving Democrats somewhat of a shot. So that is the biggest factor when it comes to the Republicans, David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler, how they're playing the whole Trump situation. And the general consensus, in my view as well, is that David Perdue has managed to strike the balance, whereas Kelly Loeffler has leaned in way too hard. She is going extreme to the right. There was that whole thing where she took a photo with the KKK member, right? So that's number one. Number two is that this is a top-down campaign. What I mean by that is that they're running in sync with the National Republican Party. They are spending money on television ads, and less so than promoting themselves, they're kind of riding on a wave. They're relying on the fact that generational Republican voters will continue to turn out for them. They're hiding themselves behind the letter R on the ballot and behind Trump. I think it was Kelly Loeffler, it might be David Perdue, who said that we need to be the firewall, that they would be the last line of defense against the Biden administration's farthest left agenda items. This is the positive way that they're framing obstructionism, right? They're saying that we are a necessary firewall. And then again, when they do that, they're relying less on, I am the right person to represent Georgia, than they are relying on Republicans are the right party to lead the country. So that's number two, that they're running a top-down campaign. The last key aspect of their strategy is the politics of fear and the politics of Trumpism, in that they are trying their best to portray particularly Raphael Warnock, because he's the black candidate, as a radical left-wing socialist. This is part of identity politics as a whole in a state where race is such a key aspect of the voting demographic. They basically want to scare you as much as possible. They want to scare the voter, instill fear, instill that Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff are threats, that they are extremists who want to destroy what makes America, America. If you want to hear me talk more specifically about this, you can go back to my episode where I discuss Trumpism, but essentially this is such a foundational aspect of how they're able to win, is by creating us versus them. If you watch any ad by Kelly Leffler, you'll see how dark their vision is 
of the opposing candidate. It's really just meant to create a narrative of fear. And then Warnock released an ad in response where he's just walking around the neighborhood, speaking gently with a little puppy. And that just goes to show that's significant because it shows that what Warnock is countering is not necessarily even a criticism of things he said, policies he's endorsed, but he's fighting back against this fear of him as a person, as a totem. And by the way, if you listen to my episode from last week, you'll know that I'm a huge fan of Raphael Warnock. So, boiling it down really simply, that is the strategy of the Republican candidates. Number one, tying themselves to Trump while also performing a balancing act. Number two, tying themselves to the National Republican Party, portraying themselves as a firewall. And number three, the politics of fear, instilling the narrative that the other side is a dark threat. Now let's take a look at the Democratic candidates, John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock. What is their strategy heading into January 5th? Well, a key distinction between their campaigns and the Republicans is that they are a bottom-up campaign. They're spending their money on knocking doors, phone banking. They're relying on these kind of more grassroots organizing efforts than the Republicans' nationalized TV advertising kind of strategy. They're disassociating themselves from the National Democratic Party a little bit more, and they're focusing their targets on the Republican candidates and Mitch McConnell. They are more firmly Georgia campaigns rather than national ones. This is probably also because they are challengers, not incumbents, and they're not tied to a sitting president. When we think about how they're going after the Republicans, so John Ossoff's going against Purdue, and he likes to portray David Purdue as a sort of distant power grabber who doesn't really care about the people of Georgia. They like to show him as a sort of elitist Washington insider who just serves his own interest. And of course, that narrative is helped by Purdue's recent actions. This insider trading scandal that he abused information, classified information that he received as a senator to help his investments. Even as the Senate did not pass a stimulus bill until very recently. So the narrative they're going after with Purdue is elitist. Raphael Warnock does a sort of similar thing, but I think his job is made a lot easier by the fact that Kelly Leffler has not done a good job with her image management of achieving the balance between not only appealing to the base, but appealing to the suburban moderates. A line that's used against Kelly Leffler as well as David Perdue in some variation is, Kelly Leffler doesn't work for you, or David Perdue doesn't work for the state of Georgia. And I think that's the best way of pursuing this democratic narrative of these two candidates, because 
obviously in politics it's very important to form a character and a caricature and it does exploit their greatest weaknesses. When it comes to Kelly Loeffler, Democrats have sort of taken a page out of Donald Trump's book by calling her Ku Klux Kelly, QAnon Kelly, and there was a New York Times article that was talking about her as the elitist running a hard scrabble campaign pitch, so Democrats can go after both sides of that. Also, of course, central to this race is the fact that it will determine Senate control. And with that comes, as I discuss in the introduction, the looming presence of Mitch McConnell. And I think the Democratic Party, especially John Ossoff, has gone after that narrative that it's Mitch McConnell on the ballot. In terms of policy and where Warnock and Ossoff fit, in the greater picture of the Democratic Party, I would say they're fairly mainstream. They're more moderate than progressive, although a lot of progressive groups do hope that they're kind of closet progressives and that we'll see that they're more liberal once the election is over. I don't know to what degree I believe that. However, they are fresh faces that are new to politics, and so they are cleanly outside the Democratic establishment. So, that about wraps up my candidate overviews. Who knows who's gonna win? The dynamic is certainly interesting, because in a state like Georgia, you have two clear camps divided largely by race and by the urban-rural divide, by the Atlanta-countryside divide, and so you obviously have to boost turnout, you have to encourage your people to vote, but in a tight race, you also do have to focus on the suburbs of Atlanta, and you have to focus on Republican to Biden voters. The election truly comes down to this one question. Can Ossoff and Warnock match Joe Biden's performance in the state of Georgia. The people who voted for Biden, who typically might not have voted for a Democrat, can the Senate candidates retain those voters? Ultimately, this is a state that Republicans should be able to win in 2021. But they haven't done a great job, and they're giving Democrats a real shot of taking the Senate and having two Democratic senators out of the typically red state. This is important not only because it's a referendum on obstructionism, as I said at the start, but also because it'll be a test of Trumpism post the Trump administration. It'll be the first test of that, because Purdue and Leffler are adopting a uniquely Trumpian strategy. And of course, it'll be a retrial of how real the New South effect is. Can Democrats sustain success in Southern states like Georgia, even outside the anomaly, perhaps, of Biden's victory? It is really a battle between the state's two identities, the old one and the new one, and between the identities of its various citizens. So there's a lot of questions 
and we'll find out the answers really soon. This is so important, and if you can do anything to affect the results anyhow, I suggest it's worth the effort. Next week, I'll discuss the ramifications of whatever the result is. Either way, the effects will be substantial in a way that I haven't fully covered in just this episode. So please come back next week to Election Day. Thank you for listening.